Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. And I'm really excited today to have our guest on, John O'Leary. John, welcome to the podcast. Man, it's an honor, I think, to be back or to be on for the first time. I feel like I've been your friend for so long. So uh, <laughs> this is phenomenal to be invited on this day. Well, we first got in, uh, connected by Mark Sanborn years ago. And then, and I'm going to share everybody out there listening because you're going to hear a little bit of, well, you're going to hear John's story and where he came from because at age nine, there was an explosion and you had burns on 100% of your body and it was, you had to fight through absolutely extraordinary odds to even be able to survive and it affected your body big time. But who you've become, because uh, my son, a lot of guys in our audience are familiar with everything that my son's gone through, being a teenage dad in high school and he was in the middle of one of the most challenging times of his life coming to grips with Tommy Spaulding, who's a friend of ours has the National Leadership Academy. And my son, I talked my son into going. He didn't really want to go. And when it was over, he could not stop talking about this guy, John, and what he'd gone through and the burns and how we thought today and how he lived life after going through all this. And I got to tell you, John, and I thank you, what you did is give my son not only hope, but you also modeled for him and showed him that you could actually go through things in, in life that almost feel insurmountable, but come out on the other end connected to meaning in life, feeling mm -hmm. joyful, actually doing things that, uh, you know, bring you alive. And for him, that was like what he needed in that moment to just kind of keep moving forward in a healthy way. I really mentally, I mean, emotionally, this was really affecting him. I so appreciate the work that you do and who you are. I just admire you. And, you know, anybody out there, too, you're doing a lot of work with uh, working with teams. You're going to hear from John here in a second. But I just encourage anybody out there that needs somebody to come in to really talk to their team in this time when things just, I mean, this is really unprecedented, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to do a lot of coronavirus-specific content because our podcast has been running so long. But how about this? This is a time of adversity. We're going to have more times of adversity That's in right. the future. And there are things that we can do going in and through adversity that allow us to come out the other end stronger or better because nothing is going to stay the same. It's kind of been my theme, right? And we have a choice going through adversity to either get better or get worse, decline mm -hmm. in some things. So with that, John, I'd love to turn it over to you and, and have you share your story and, and you know, what you went through uh, as a little kid and then into uh, the early part of your life. Yeah. So first of all, what an honor to be on your show, to hear that backstory, to realize when you speak sometimes, because my job as a podcast host, an author, and a presenter, I love speaking to audiences but you don't always know if you're getting through to the ones in front of you. Mm. And I doubt I met your son physically. I doubt I shook his hand. I doubt I got to give him a hug. I doubt he came up and said, thank you or anything. I doubt that happens. But to know now years and years later, that something that was said or felt moved him and inspired him. It's so gratifying and so encouraging. And it ought to be for all of us because you, you never know what your reflection, <clears throat> what your inspiration, what your words might do for the one in front of you. It's why we're called to show up. And uh, not to worry about what we get out of it, but just to be there fully. And that's what life has taught me, John, just to show up and uh, to not really ask questions. As a nine-year-old boy, I was burned, like you mentioned, on 100% of my body. 87% of those burns were third degree. I spent five months in the hospital. I went through several dozen surgeries. I lost my fingers to the amputation. 
And even today, man, I have scars from my neck to my toes. Uh, and it's a story we can spend an entire podcast unpacking if you'd like, but it's a story that taught me how to suffer well, but also what real joy is. And it's not dependent upon the sun shining. It's not dependent upon cash flowing. It's not dependent upon the ice cream being just the right flavor. It's mm. far greater than that. And I think uh, what we seek in life is contentment, but we chase happiness. And then we wonder why we're never pleased. We wonder why we're never fulfilled. And I, I think part of what your son saw and heard three or four years ago up in uh, Colorado was this guy who's been through a lot and has joy. And there's something that we can all learn, myself included, from that story. Yeah. And where does your joy come from? Well, gosh, I mean, as a Christian believer, it starts with my faith. Mm-hmm. It is what my mom and dad instilled in me as a little boy. It's what I still have as a man. It's what keeps me humble when I'm killing it, when I'm on top of the world, man, that mountaintop experience. I see the planes behind you. When you feel like you're above everything else and above everyone else, my faith reminds me to come back down. That mm. God's that big, but I'm not. I need to lower my ego just a little bit. So that's a cool thing about faith, but maybe more important than that. When I feel buried by the world, when I feel as if there's no reason for moving forward or no reason for hope, my faith reminds me without a doubt that the best days are in front of us. So I, I feel chosen. I feel like I have royal blood coursing through my veins. And I don't know how long I'll be here, but I realize that every day that I have been, it's God's will that I show up fully in it. You know, I love that. Show up fully in it. Because, I, don't, you know, in my the accident that I had that wasn't as bad as yours, all my bones have been crushed from my chest up through my skull. And God appeared there at my accident, John. And after he took all the pain that I was in completely away, it was gone. And he's standing there next to me. He speaks to me. And the, but in the first thing he said to me uh, was, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. You know, as I'm recovering and going through what I had to physically, financially, emo- I mean, just so much there. I hung on to that verse because, you know what, it gave me hope because I had to make a choice to trust that, you know what, all this was going to work together in some way that even though I can't understand it, I can't wrap my head around it, but that there is a reason. And now looking back on it now, what, eight years later, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't have the friends. I wouldn't have the community. I would, I don't think I'd have the relationships with my wife and my kids had we actually not gone through that period. So you know, it's interesting when you go through something like this, right? People ask me, did God cause the accident? And I had to think about that. I'm like, well, he didn't cause it. Right. He could have prevented it, but he chose not to. Right. But I also have to realize he's absolutely, he loves me more than anything. And he told me the first thing he said to me is everything works together for good. And I just honestly had to rest in that and just be okay with you know, this period of time. And now, honestly, looking back, I personally would not take it back for anything because of who I've become and what's happening in my life because of it, if that makes sense. Perfect sense. My mom and dad wrote a book years ago about my event and referred to it as John's accident. I think 12 or 13 times. And what they were describing, John, is a story about a nine-year-old boy who played with fire and gasoline and accidents. That's not an accident, though, mom or dad or listeners. It's science. It's laws of nature in play. It's a poor choice. And that's not God willing it happens, but it's God who is going to use a terrible experience to glorify himself and to those who love him. And so whatever you're going through now, I don't think God is causing the bad, but he will use it. 
he will absolutely use it and he will bring about something redemptive in those experiences, whether it's COVID-19 or whatever else we're facing right now. Yeah, no, that's well said. And I want to bring you back because there's something uh, that's really powerful. I like, I can imagine you as a nine, 10 year old boy, you're recovering from surgeries, skin grafts. I'm sure it was incredibly painful. You're missing all of your fingers. I know this was a while ago, but where were you in that moment as you were trying to kind of figure all this out yourself? Right. So when I was a little guy, John, we grew up in the word and, and I believed at age nine, if you got out of the boat and God called you to the shore, you could walk on water. Truly, man. So I thought at age nine, if I wanted out of that boat and wanted to walk in the water, it's on. It is on. And so my faith was this. When my mother came into the room, in the emergency room, and saw her little boy named John O'Leary laying there with no clothes, no skin on, walked over to me, took my broken, beat down, burnt up hand and said, baby, I love you. When I looked back at her and said, mom, am I going to die? Her response was, baby, do you want to? Which is bold. Talk about free choice, free will later on if you want. But baby, do you want to? It's your choice. And I said back to her, mama, I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was, good, good. Then baby, look at me. Take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him and you fight like you have never fought before. Your father and I will be with you every step along the way. But you got to fight. You got to fight. So on day one of this difficult, not only five month in hospital, but years of recovery journey forward, a family decided to take the hand of God and walk the journey with him. We made that choice. We made that choice. And so that was my faith as a child. My faith as a man is a little bit different. Well, just, I got to tell you though, just in that moment, how wise of your mom you know, as a parent, my thought might have been be like, no, you're fine. You're going to be okay. We love you. We're all praying. And that's not what she did. She asked you a question for you to connect to your will to live. I'm just struck by how meaningful that probably was. So Johnny, when I write books, my picture is never on the front of them because I recognize looking at my story, the journey has very little to do with me. I'm one of the main characters. I happen to be at the center of every story in some regards. But I'm not the lead character. My mom and dad, you and I were talking about this right before we hit record, are so outstanding at leadership, at faith, at love, at forgiveness, at compassion, at vision, at guiding the little boy forward in his journey. So my parents are just who I look up to as a boy and as a man. But that idea of saying it's your choice for a nine-year-old whose question to you is, am I going to die, mommy? I'm scared. You don't comfort him. You put truth in front of him. It's, it's jarring. And I've told that story only a couple of times. And sometimes when I do it, it rubs people the wrong way. They think, man, your mom is tough. Like, couldn't she have had a little compassion? I think she had the utmost compassion. I think ultimately she realized you can't lie people forward in life. You got to be honest with them. And you've got to ultimately free them to recognize, pick up your mat. You know, frequently Jesus, before the miracle took, he would tell the individual that is looking at him for hope, do your part, do your part, pick up your mat. And so my mom, who is uh, just so wise, was encouraging me to do my part. John, fight. Wow. And then later on, as you were, I think you were back home, you had a conversation with your dad, as I understand, was also equally transformational. Could you share a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, many times, but one of the ones, I believe it's the one you're referencing. This is probably almost a year into recovery, but I'm still in a wheelchair, still struggling and still having a pretty healthy dose of a pity party. It's a party we've all been at, 
Uh, sometimes we're surrounded by others having one as well, but it's always a table for one at that restaurant because <laughs> you, know, it, you may talk about yours and I might talk about mine, but we're not building bridges, we're building walls. So I'm, I'm having a pity party and I'm saying, dad, why me? Well, you know, why did, why did God do this? Why don't I have fingers and all this other stuff? And eventually he said, John, darn it. You know, he's usually a very genteel man, but that day he was pretty adamant. He may have used the word even stronger than darn it. John, darn it. This terrible thing has happened. It has. And you can choose to spend the rest of your life as a victim to it. And no one will ever blame you for it. But John, you don't have to go through life like that. You can choose instead to be redeemed through this. You can choose to rise above this. You can choose to move forward in spite of this. And people will look up and celebrate what you've done because of it. And man, I was like nine or 10 years old when he's telling me this, but it's a conversation I will never forget. It's a conversation that woke me up. It did not make the journey forward easy, but I did realize I had to do my part in the journey. I had to do my part in the healing and I had to stop looking backward and start looking forward. So I'm thinking back if I was that age, and I know just through my recovery, right? Because you have these ebbs and flows. You know, how did you handle maybe some of the, you know, I'm just thinking about some of the folks that might be out there right now that heard what you just said and says, you know what? That's where I want to get to. Right. I don't know how to get there right now because the noise, the pressure, the stress of the world just almost seems like it's too much. Mm. When you had moments maybe like that, if you did, how did you reconnect to some of that hope, some of that joy that's continued to guide you? What I would say today, because I think most of your listeners will be more adult like than nine years old. Like I think most <laughs> will be dealing with financial woes, relationship woes, rather than amputations and skin grafts. So I think if I can just place myself in what works for me today, because I think it also might work for your listeners right where they are, wherever they are today in their journey. The most important thing I do, I think on the front side of every day is I walk outside in the morning. I'm up, John, before anyone else in my family and before just about anywhere else in the world, before the cars are all honking, before the cell phone's beeping. I go outside, I grab a cup of coffee and I look east. With a journal in hand, I wait for it. And what I'm waiting for is that sun to peek over the horizon and to again remind me that God is still present. He's speaking to us right now in light. Light does indeed cut through the darkness. And while that happens every day, I look at it in a sense of profound awe. Man, if you haven't seen a sunrise lately, let me encourage you tomorrow to set your alarm clock for about two minutes before you your local sunrise. Get outside and just watch. You and the birds will be the only ones up. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's one of the most stunning things of the day, man, when light cuts through the darkness again. So I, I always do that. And while I watch, I have in front of me not only a coffee, but a journal. And with that journal, it's kind of like a prayer journal. But the question I ask every morning is, why me? Why me, God? And as it cuts through the darkness, whether it's around the weather, the birds, the light, the ability to see. I mean, we take for granted the things closest to us and nearest and dearest to us, like eyesight, ears, passports, freedom, health, family, all these things. But we, you almost ignore it every day unless you have in front of you a journal that says, why me? I am so grateful for this and this and this and this. And it becomes a more expansive list every single time you do it. So how do I remain not only upright but upbeat every day in spite of what's happening around me man gratitude prayerful gratitude informs how i'm going to step into that day for those listening it was mother's day yesterday and i had everybody go around the table and say hey what are what's your favorite memory with mom 
what is, you know, what are the things you're most grateful for? And then I had my wife do that with each one of the kids. And I got to tell you, just focusing on gratitude and those things that we can kind of cling on to are, man, it just totally changes the energy, the environment. So this is a good lead in too, because you have, you know, through your career, you've worked with thousands of clients, really, since you've been doing this the last 12 years. And I think one of the things that you observed in a lot of these organizations, whether they're probably families or nonprofits or regular companies, right, is just where people are at, their level of engagement, not just in the work, but really in life. And you wrote this amazing book, which just came out. So I want everybody to check this out because you also have some, uh, this really cool challenge that I've started, by the way. But it's called In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. And I'm just curious, what prompted you with all that you've done and how busy you are to take the time to sit down and actually write this book specifically? So, man, as a guy who loves, loves my family, first and foremost, loves my God, that's why I work. But sometimes the very reason why you work forces you to be away from the things you love the most, your kids. So I spent a lot of time on the road, a lot of times at large organizations and uh, stadium type events or boardrooms with executives. And whether I'm in an airport watching people on a line going through TSA or whether I'm looking at a group of executives or uh, 20,000 people in a massive auditorium, it seems to me frequently we adults are enduring the day, enduring barely getting through it, shoulders bent, looking down at the phone, grinding it out, man, just looking forward to that next vacation in seven and a half months. Only Uh, four years till I retire, man. Cannot wait to get out of this deal. We're wishing away our lives. A little science around this, the likelihood of you being alive, John, it's less than one in 400 trillion. So the very fact that your mother and father came together, boom, baby, right on time to lead to your life or to lead to mine or to lead to one of your listeners, is less than one in 400 trillion, which means you are an absolute fundamental miracle. And we're wishing away these days. We're enduring the mundane. We're missing the sunrise and the sunset and butterflies and life. So I leave those auditoriums. And then I, when I'm on the road, I like to speak to kids. That's why I met your son in the first place. I love kids, whether they're 17 like your boy was or whether you know my favorite is like five or six, which is a phenomenal age. But when I'm in front of little kids, I notice that they don't walk into the room, they skip. I notice they don't frown, they smile, they don't have their arms crossed, they have their hands up in the air, like these little guys are lit up for life. They may occasionally get the answers wrong, but there is no doubt that they are paying attention. There is no doubt that they are soaking up the very fiber of every experience throughout the day. And so in seeing this dichotomy between how we adults endure life and to see how these children dance in life, I wondered why, why is this? Why are they so lit up? What is it that they have that we lose sight of and how do we return to it? And if we did, how might that affect our business? How might it affect our marriages, our singleness? What could we do as a society if we were childlike again? Not childish. I think we got plenty of evidence of people who are childish in the way they lead organizations or their communities or their political parties. Very childish out there. I want people to be childlike. Childlike. Jesus says, let the children come to me. He's not talking about if you're under the age of 11, you may enter. It's a mindset. (laughs) It is a mindset that I don't think Jesus saw 2,000 years ago enough. And I think he would see it even less frequently today. So this is an invitation for us to be childlike in the way we lead our lives going forward. What does that look like today, John? You know, with everything going on, 
right? Even in good times. And we're in this like, you know, Mach 5, hyper caffeinated, crazy busy society. And honestly, for me, it doesn't feel any less busy now that like other than Zoom fatigue, <laughs> yes. to be honest with you, right? What does it look like today? Let me tell you what it looks like three years ago from on both sides of the spectrum. So I wrote this book, not in a pandemic, believe it or not. I was unaware that COVID-19 was on the rise and I had no idea a recession might be coming globally. But I did write this book at a time where 94% of news stories were negative. And that was when the market was at a historic high and unemployment was at a historic low. So if it was 94% in 18, I can only imagine what it's going to look like in 2020 when there is a lot of reason for anxiety. So I, I think I wrote it in, during a period of time where I needed to remind people that there's reason, rational reason for optimism. Like we need to step back into this to believe the best days remain in front of us. But I also saw around me evidence of people who weren't just five or six years old living this, but true great leaders in life. And I unpack a whole lot of them in the book. But one of my favorite guys was a gentleman named Pat Hinman. Pat was an executive in San Diego, California that I met in 2014, I believe. He was in charge of a group of business owners. So all these guys, there were 26 guys who would meet around him and he was the leader of the leaders. He's the one that these 26 other business owners looked up to. And one interesting thing about Pat is not only did he have stage four cancer when he and I met, he was 98 years old. It's a true story. So he's 98 years old. It's his birthday that day. I'm doing a leadership event for him. He meets monthly with these executives. And at the end of this seminar, the one who took the most copious notes was not one of the 26 business owners. By far, the guy who took the best notes during that time was Pat Hinman. At the end, we brought out a cake. We sang happy birthday to him. And then after we were done singing, Pat went around name by name, executive by executive around the room, just like he did for your wife yesterday, and pointed out to these executives what he respected most about them. He'd met me four hours earlier, and he had a paragraph of things he respected about me. John O'Leary, thank you for getting on. It goes on and on and on and on. At the end of our dinner that evening, he leaves. He gets his top coat and top hat. I meet him at the front door, and I said, Pat, where are you going, buddy? Where are you leaving? Where are you racing off to? And he says, John, I got to get home. My wife will think I'm running around on her again if I don't get home soon. This was a man who had been married for 74 years and made a commitment to his wife that he would guide her all the way to the finish line. Mm. He was faithful until the very end. And Pat died six weeks after he and I met. He died 11 days after his wife, Ruth, went home. Mm. He was a committed learner and grower and lover and faithful steward, faithful guide understood that it's not ultimately about success, uh, but about significance. And so Pat was so childlike in the way he sang happy birthday to himself and the way he wore a goofy little triangle hat during the entire celebration that evening, but also such a phenomenal leader in the way he kept making it about everybody else. Mm. So I see evidence not only in my children and in other people's children or in history about people who are childlike and living that with wonder and inspiration and joy, but man, I see it in the best among us. In fact, this morning, I stumbled across a John F. Kennedy speech from, I think, 63 at Rice University. It's 13 minutes later. So when you're done with this podcast, Google JFK to the moon. Whether you hate JFK and his democratic beliefs or you love him, I'm not here to judge that. I want you to listen to his vision. Listen to his inspiration. 
Listen to the way he sought a goal far greater than the adversity we were facing on that day. I would say to you right now, it was incredibly childlike in the way he says, we are going to get to the moon by the end of this decade and return, and we will do so with technologies not yet invented. We will figure it out, and we will figure it out together. Man, I would love to have leaders step forward in our communities, in our synagogues, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our men's groups, in our businesses, as a country, saying we will do this and we will do it together. We don't even yet know how, but trust me, let's come along for the ride. We need childlike leadership again. And so, um, man, uh, the need is greater than it's ever been. And I think the opportunity is as great as it's ever been. That's such a beautiful context because as a family movie night uh, last week, we watched Hidden Figures. One of the things that I never knew about that vision that Kennedy put out there, nobody had ever even invented the math on how to return somebody. And, we, and they're just like, well, we're going to figure it out. Think about this. But because they were driven by this vision, like, I mean, this was like from raw cloth. But let me ask you, so back to Pat, what a powerful example. As you observed all that, John, and everything you've done in life, what, what did you learn from that being around Pat? So one more thing about Kennedy on the video today. Yeah. There were 1,200 thumbs up and 126 thumbs down. And I'm like, who puts a thumbs down to a guy who says, we cruise the moon? We not because it's, it's the guys that think the whole thing was faked. Not because it's easy, <laughs> but because it's hard. Why does Weiss play Texas? You know, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal vision. So, uh, what did I learn from Kennedy? Man, I learned it also from Pat Hinman. I learned that people who can make commitments and our people of conviction live into them, whether it's in their business, it's in their faith, it's in their marriage. It's not about doing something that is easy. It's about doing something that is worthy. And we frequently today, John, think that we've never had it worse than these days. And I think our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and every single other generation would look at what we have right now at this moment in the midst of a pandemic in the midst of a recession and be blown away by how good we got it. And so a little perspective, people, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it's perfect. It is not this side of eternity, but it is far better than we currently claim. So let's start with the realization that the foundation is firm. The foundation is firm. Now, where do you want to go? Where do we want to go individually? And far more important for me, and I think for us, where do we collectively want to go together? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, as you were talking about Pat, it made me think of, right, here's somebody with so much going on. He's a guy, though, that was in, in that moment, was so present, so engaged, and so kind of focused on other people. And I honestly, I know for me, if I start getting too future focused, that's where, honestly, anxiety and stress now come from. It, it is important to have long-term goals and, you know, vision statements and missions. So I don't want to discount that. Pulling everything back, though, to the present. Yes. To be really engaged in, you know, like my prayer every day is, what is that one thing that God wants me to do today? My whole focus is on small steps to just stay on the path. I think I know where the path is leading. I have a good idea. I have no idea. It's like, I think of uh, that verse, right? Your word is like a lamp unto my feet. And I have a picture here of a little boy in like this scary forest and the light is only just around his feet, right? Mm -hmm. So the only thing I can focus on is just that next small step. And when I get to a Y, like a V in the, on the path, and I don't know how to choose sometimes, and I think God actually gives us the opportunities to choose, right? I can't just stand here and not move into action. But what I really want to ask you, because you've done this really well, 
is what does it take to really kind of pull everything back and really be that kind of person that's present, you know, with your wife, with mm. your kids, your husband, your, the people around you? Because that is a place, I think, where you create relationships like you did very quickly with Pat because of who he was when you were with him. So in, in the book, we unpack the five senses that children have that we adults begin to lose sight of. Mm. And unlike eyesight or hearing, we can get these back. We can actually reclaim these. And the third one is called immersion. Like kids, man. I mean, they're so fully engaged in whatever they're doing. When they're in class, they're, they're in. When they're at recess, you can barely get them back in. When they're eating lunch, man, good luck getting them to stop, put that peanut butter and jelly sandwich down and listen for a moment. So whatever they are doing, <laughs> they are wholly, entirely immersed in doing exactly that. We adults think that we are sophisticated when we claim to be busy. We view that as like, a uh, John, how was your weekend? Oh, man, busy. Dang, I was so busy and now it's Monday morning. I, I expect Monday to be even busier than Saturday. And we claim this is something that we're prideful of. Kids aren't busy. They're engaged. They're fully immersed. And kids don't multitask. When they color, they color. When they play, they play. When they read, they read. When they sleep, they sleep. They're not trying to do a million different things at one time. And so I, what I've noticed about children is what we ourselves can reclaim. And in doing so, we would do relationships far better. Pat Hemming did not have a cell phone. I mean, you think about this, a guy who ran 26 business owners for, this is a very successful guy, very well thought of guy who had no time for a cell phone. Why would he? He was way too engaged with the one in front of him, whoever the one was. Sometimes John O'Leary, a guy he met one time for a grand total of four and a half hours. And yet almost a decade after his death, I'm writing about how he had influenced me in his life. So I, I would just encourage those of us who are trying to strengthen relationships with coworkers, colleagues, folks we want to sell into, our spouses, our children, our parents, our barista, whoever it is, man, be with them. So then the question might be, how do you do that? Yeah. For me, there's two ways. Number one is to turn your phone off. So I need a phone. Pat somehow did not. I, I, I have one <laughs> right now, man. It's off, but it's here. So I, I use technology, but I don't, I'm not a slave to it. I leverage it. So let, let's make sure we own it. It does not own us. So when you're at home, specifically turn it off. When I'm at work, this might surprise some of us who uh, think John O'Leary's husband of the year. I, I want to be husband of the year. But when I'm at work, my wife can't get me because I want to work like a dog. I just want to work really, really, really hard so that when I'm home, I can be fully immersed in my home life. So be where you are, be in flow. And the second way we can do this is in the front side of every conversation to begin with the words, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about that. And it has a way of removing us from wherever we were coming out of before, getting rid of that future focus or that past focus, these binds that chain us to a, a non-real time. It also has a way of making sure the relationship, whatever comes out of it, whether it's with our spouse or a barista, is fully about them. Not your ego, not your checkbook, not your pride, not your Facebook following. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. And John, and as we say these words to people in front of us, I challenge your listeners to watch the way the person changes interacting with us. Mm -hmm. Watch how their face softens. Watch how you almost catch them by surprise. You don't say the words aloud. That might freak them out. Like, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it, TSA guy. No, that, that's not going to go down well for you. But when you say it quietly on your heart, it will change the way you look at them, the gentle voice that you speak with them through, and then certainly the interaction that follows behind it. 
you know, that's such a great reminder. I think when we affirm other people, when we say something positive about them directly to them, like you look at the barista, right? And they're sitting there right now, you have to go through the drive through and you look up at them and you just say, you know, thank you so much for coming in and doing all this and wearing a mask just so I can have a cup of coffee today. You know how much I actually really appreciate that. I feel normal and it's because of the work you're doing. Thank you. You do something like that. You know what? They'll remember you and that comment. And you know what? You don't know where people are emotional. That might be the one thing they needed today. It may save a life. People listening might say, John, quit being so dramatic here, brother. And I will remind our listeners that last year, 19, 1.5 million Americans attempted suicide. So you may claim that I'm being a bit dramatic, but for the million and a half who no longer saw reason for them to take the next step forward in their life last year, I'm not sure that I am. And for those of us, and it's 56%, according to Cigna, that feel isolated. This is before a pandemic. We felt mm-hmm. like we were doing life completely on our own. To have a guy in the drive-through looking you in your heart and saying, Matt, you need to know you are normalizing my life and I'm grateful for you. It is wind in the sail and we all need it as a spouse, as a single person, as a barista, as an executive and everybody in between. And I think right now, especially like you said, right, the isolation that we're feeling, our pastor just did a service and he actually had looked at some research. Then I think it was 20 years ago, the average person would identify themselves that they had 12 to 15, what they would call close friends. Yeah. And the number today is that people say, I think if I remember the number was only two or three, it's dramatic. And there's a lot of us that don't even have that. And we just did a, uh, a summit. We just did a panel with our pastor and a psychologist on mental health, mm. you know, and just knowing that somebody cares, like a friend of mine put out a post. It just said, I'm sad. Mm. I'm like, huh? So I called him immediately. And you know what? We've now been talking every day. He was in a really bad place, but that affirming of others, and it's so easy to do. So what if we all just made it a practice, a goal, something we could measure say, hey, you know what? You go to the grocery store and the guy's restocking the celery, right? Or your son, your wife, and you make a practice of just twice a day, you affirm people until you now start developing a habit of focusing on other people, looking for something positive, in either something they did, their character, their smile, the actions that they took. Um, You know what, if everybody listening to that just did this, I agree with John, we could literally just that, it'll save at least one life. And you know what, it'll also affect and influence in a very positive way the culture around you. John, I, I love it and I would encourage people, if you are bold enough to do this at the end of each day, track what you did. Mm. And in doing so, you'll find even more reasons to celebrate those in front of you. So take the challenge. I really do think that this would change not only the life of the one stocking shelves and the one picking up your trash and the one making you a coffee or the one that you're sleeping next to, but it would also absolutely change the reflection in the mirror. So watch what happens when we track the good. We have some people in the house that are pretty immunocompromised, so to speak, right? So we get groceries delivered. And my wife has gotten to know the name of the guy who delivers it. And she always makes sure when they're wrapping up, she opens the door when they're, you know, back down by the curb to walk out and say, thank you. I appreciate that. And he, the guy lights up and they love coming over to our house. Matter of fact, I can't wait till the day we, this is all over. I'd love to have him and his family over for dinner because they have (laughs) served us so many, it's really made a difference for us, these little things. So 
John O'Leary, your website is John O'Leary Inspires.com. And that's O L E A R Y. That's the good Norwegian spelling, right? O'Leary? I believe it's Norwegian or uh, Yugoslavian. I'm not exactly sure where we're from, but yes, yeah. uh, we're very proud of our heritage. And <laughs> mom and dad, corned beef and uh, cabbage, potatoes. It was a frequent dinner at the O'Leary house. I bet it was. So, John O'Leary Inspires. And you guys can go there, find out more about John his speaking, having him come in, talk to your group, but also very importantly, uh, this would be a great book and we're going to do this. Our team, what we always do is we're in the middle of the book we're reading right now is Leadership and Self-Deception. It's all about our mindset. It's a fantastic book, but our team is constantly reading a book and we use that to create really meaningful conversations and learn and remind ourselves of the important things. And I'm going to get this book for our team to read as our next book. I would encourage people to do that. It's such a great way. Instead of talking about work and the transactions and how do we work on Zoom and processes, right now, everybody's going to look back, especially anybody who's in a leadership role right now, and they're going to remember not what we did or exactly what we said, but how they felt being around us through this period of time Mm -hmm. and reconnecting what John has talked about your wonder, your joy, your, you know, why you're doing it, a focus on others, affirming people, really talking about just being a great human, right? We all need just to be better. If we can just be a little bit better, like if on a one to 10, I might rank myself maybe at a six. Hey, what if we just figure out what does it look like to just go a plus one, right? I'm pretty sure you're higher than a six, but I would say this, you know, and Jesus teaches whether you're a one, three or five, double. No excuse. I don't want to hear the excuse. Pandemic, please. That is not an excuse. Lousy marriage, uh uh-uh, not an excuse. You only gave me one talent. Sorry, that's not an excuse. So uh, whether you are a six or you are a 10 or you are barely hanging on with a one, we are called to become a far better version of ourselves every single day. And I would remind your listeners, because many of them are struggling right now, as am I. We all, this is a difficult time for many of us. But it's, it's not an excuse to clam up. It's not an excuse to build walls around your household and just to uh, forget about the world. I think this is our opportunity right now to highly engage with those around us. Many people saw that same post, John, that you saw uh, feeling sad Mm. and put a a thumbs up or a heart or a frowny face and moved on with their day. You went the step farther to connect with another human being and may have saved a life in doing so. So this is an opportunity to really connect as our brothers and sisters keepers and uh, in doing so, change the world. And again, it sounds grandiose, except it's been proven true again and again and again by all the great saints who come before us. They serve the one in front of them, and that scales. That always scales. Yeah, and I just want to say one final comment. For everybody listening, right, and you think about where John has been, where he's come through. John, I think your how you live your life focused on others when there's so much in your life you could have focused on and said, I mean, talking about joy, talking about the important things, talking about how to be a great husband and father and a better person to those around you. Thank you for devoting your life, you know, to your values and working in your passions as an example for the rest of us to say, you know what, I've been through some stuff, but it doesn't compare to honestly what John's gone through. And look at how he's showing up today. I got to tell you, it it inspires me. I thank you. And it's been just a joy to have you on the podcast. And I would love to have more conversations with you. And anytime you need a platform, you have a message to share something on your heart, please reach out. 
me and I know our entire audience would love to hear from you anytime you want to come back. I'll see you next week. And uh, okay, I'm deal. forward to it, man, because I'm not done yet. Let's keep rolling. This was awesome. I feel like you're a dear friend, and I, I look forward to our next conversation. And for those who are uh, looking to take the next step forward with this conversation, if you go to readinaw.com, that's where we have the link to not only the book, which is cool, but the 21-day challenge of mm-hmm. – of taking baby steps forward, just recognizing you are not alone, that there's reason for hope and that your best days are in front of you. So if you go to readinaw.com, I promise you'll love it. Listeners, you may have heard a little bit of background noise. It's bring your daughter to work day here at Live Inspired. So I have an eight-year-old girl who's drawing pictures right down the table from me right now. And uh, Hey, tell her to come around and say hi. Come here, Grace. Come around real quick. She, hey, she, Grace. There's no way in the world. She, come on, real quick. Sit. You got to say hello to the, the friends. I saw her hand and then I saw her cleaning your, uh, from behind the camera lens. It was awesome. So she draws pictures while she's here and she gets me to smile. And with this period of time, this pandemic has reminded us, it's, it's ultimately not about looking pretty. You can have kids on your laps and dogs barking in the background and, and you can still be a great leader at home and a great leader at work. And so it's important we, uh, let's not try to fake it anymore. So John, the greatest generation was called the greatest generation, not because of what they went through, but because they applied the lessons they learned. I think there's a distinguish that we have to remember there. Like, it's not about just getting through hard times. It's about applying them when the seasons change. So this too shall pass. This pandemic will recede. The recession will disappear. We will again return, I think, to prosperity. But man, if we can return with the lessons of faithfulness, togetherness, slowing down, taking walks with our family, you and I were talking about that before we recorded, if we return to normal, but we return changed, what a blessing. So I, mm. I look forward to returning even better than I entered into the storm. A friend of mine and I were talking yesterday, John, and it's like, there's some things changing. The conversations like this, people are actually realizing how important relationships are, loving others, having a little bit more grace, a little bit more forgiveness, a little more patience. I think there's some things that we're going to be leaving behind that should be left behind. And I hope as we move forward, we actually don't fall back into maybe some of the things that were not healthy that, I mean, just things, even myself that I honestly use this time as I kind of needed to change. So, you know, it's from that perspective, you know, let's just think about how we just keep getting gooder. (laughs) I'm in in for getting gooder with you, man. And, And thank you for showing us out. Thanks, man. Great talking with you. It's been an honor again. Thank you.